I'm sorry that I made you pay $6 to watch it. Oh, I actually uh, got a rental copy that I paid for out of my work budget, so... (laughs) (laughs) I'm Uh, sorry, I paid $6 to watch. I'm so sorry. You're listening to Love Ya, your guided tour through the wide and wonderful world of streaming teen cinema and rom-coms. I am your co-host, Martha Sullivan, library manager and the guilty party for what we are all about to uh, <laughs> be privy to. I, I, wax, I wax dramatic. I don't think this movie is as bad as some of the movies that we have watched for this show, but we'll get into it. <laughs> Uh, I am here, as always, with my co-host. Uh, I'm Maren Higman, uh, adult services librarian and rom-com enthusiast. And we are here today to talk about the 2021 uh, film adaptation of the Broadway musical Dear Evan Hansen. Uh, before I ask Maren to give us a brief synopsis of this movie, I'm going to put two warnings right here up at the top of the episode. Uh, the first is a spoiler warning. We are going to be going through this very new movie in detail. So if that is something that you care about, uh, maybe pause us, go watch this movie on Amazon, and then come back uh, and listen to the rest of the episode. Uh, the other warning I want to put up at the top here is a content warning for discussion of teen suicide. Um it is a heavy topic in the movie. Uh, we are going to be talking about it as part of this episode, and I just want everybody who listens to this to uh, be prepared. So, all of that out of the way, Marin, can you give us a brief synopsis <laughs> of Dear Evan Hansen? Yeah, Dear Evan Hansen, uh, which actually, I think a plot synopsis will be kind of easy, because despite the plot being bonkers, it's actually pretty straightforward. Um sure. Yeah, so Evan Hansen is a high schooler with social anxiety. Uh, he, in one of his therapy assignments is to write himself letters. Um, he, one day at school, um, and he has a broken arm. Uh, one day at school, a classmate uh, offers to sign his cast. Um, and... Um, he sees Evan's letter. They have a conversation. Evan turns out to have a crush on his sister. Um, so this young man, um, Connor, uh, signs, signs Evan's cast, takes this letter, um, and it comes out a few days later uh, that Connor committed suicide. And because they found this letter addressed to Dear Evan Hansen uh, on him, uh, they think that um connor and evan had a friendship um and this is confirmed by seeing connor as being the only signature on evan's cast they being connor's parents oh yeah connor's parents um so it kind of spirals from here um evan maintains the lie that he and connor were very good friends um he uh, gets close with Connor's family, the Murphys, um, as they kind of want to prime him for stories of Connor. Um, he also gets involved with a uh, group who want to uh, keep Connor's memory alive by advocating for mental health awareness. Um, 
And so uh, Evan gets embroiled into the situation of he gets all these good things in his life, you know, getting this close relationship with Connor's family, finally getting to uh, have the culmination of his crush on Connor's sister, uh, and making friends through working on this mental health awareness advocacy organization, but it's all built on a lie. Um, and predictably, the lie comes out. It all comes crashing down. Um, but in the end, uh, Evan has learned some stuff. And uh, the mental health advocacy organization they created uh, has created uh, this orchard space dedicated to Connor's memory. Um, and yeah, uh, the, the implication is that Evan will, will get to move on with his life with, um, more hope. Uh, the end. Um, a couple of things that I would add, uh, Evan lives alone with his single mom, Julianne Moore. And develops some tension between uh, her and the wealthier Murphys. Um, Connor is portrayed in the beginning of the movie. Well, not portrayed. Connor is a bully in the beginning of this movie. He um, and Evan have sort of a minor altercation where he yells in Evan's face. Um, and we learn through the rest of the movie that part of why... Connor's family is so kind of desperate for Evan's stories about Connor is because the Connor that he tells them about is different from the one that they kind of had experience with. Um, which I think is fair to say. Yes. Yeah. Um, this... What is your relationship with this musical? Did you have a relationship with this musical before you watched the movie? Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, I had definitely listened to the music. Um, I feel like, I don't know, it's interesting, because the musical came out at, during, like, peak Hamilton, like, frenzy. So I feel like in some ways it was a, like... Oh, okay. There's something else. Like, there's some other Broadway music people are talking about than Hamilton. Thank God. Um, <laughs> so there was a little, um, I think a little bit of that. Um, so I definitely, you know, I list, I didn't get, like, super into the soundtrack. I liked some of the songs. Um, uh, yeah, had had read the plot summary uh, before listening and was kind of like, whoa, that sounds crazy. And I think I watched an youtube video or two of a production um and the production looked like it was staged very interestingly which we'll get into because i have thoughts about how they filmed a lot of this um oh so do i yeah yeah martha how about you uh so i listened to the soundtrack kind of on a whim um this book was hugely popular in my libraries um amongst our teens like it was always checked out um, we, we lent it out a bunch. So I was, I was kind of nominally aware of the book, uh, which I just before starting this recording found out was written basically concurrently and by the same people who wrote the musical, which was not something that I knew, but is kind of <laughs> fascinating. Um, so I listened to the soundtrack and I really love 
the Broadway soundtrack to this movie. Like I was kind of obsessed with it for a while. And then I read the plot synopsis of this story, which is bananas. It is crazy town. Um, and yeah, so I, I truly love the music to this. I think the story is out. Like I'm, I'm having the story is insanity. um and when i found out they were making a movie out of it i had many feelings (laughs) um i also think that it is wild so ben platt plays evan hansen he played evan hansen on in the stage version which was six years ago i believe um and is on the is on the soundtrack he's great i i mean i don't think I don't think the Broadway show works without someone as likable as Ben Platt to cast him in the film version of this movie was a wild choice. Yeah. Um, I understand that Hollywood is not, is no stranger to casting older for teens. Um, but he, he doesn't look age appropriate next to all of the actual teenagers playing teenagers. Um, well, well, it's interesting because I don't think there are actually many teens. Like, I don't think, so I don't think any of the main teens are actually teens, but it is, okay. jar- it is jarring. Cause I, I did do a little wicking and I think all the Good. other main people are like 22. So it is jarring, and Ben Platt, I believe, is 28. And those six years do make a difference. And I, it was doubly jarring for me because I had just rewatched Pitch Perfect, um, which was one of Ben Platt's first breakout roles from 2012, where he was, like, 20 years old. Mm-hmm. And just, like, the whiplash of seeing, you know, what Ben Platt actually looked like when he was 20. Um I also feel like the makeup, like his styling is doing him no favors. Like I, he looks like they wanted him to look as haggard and weary as possible, which is potentially true. Um, just because Evan Hansen as a character is like very downtrodden. Um, but I also feel like they maybe could have tried harder to make him look younger. Like, oh yeah, I have seen I have seen people achieve pretty astonishing things with makeup in the movies, and I feel like we could have maybe worked a little harder to get Ben Platt to at least look like not necessarily looking like he's fifteen, but at least on par with um, like Caitlin Deaver and Amanda Steinberg, who are the two teens that he is acting most frequently against yeah exactly or the two act the two actors that he is acting most frequently against yeah because it um, is just like jarring um yeah and i just and i know I, I think part of the story behind this is that ben platt's dad is a pretty major hollywood producer so i think i have read basically him saying like well my dad wasn't gonna get it made without me um which is absolutely like an indictment of um nepotism in hollywood um but 
yeah, it really, it's, it's just so odd that, like, that's what they decided to commit to. Um, all that said, he sounds great. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's got a beautiful <laughs> voice. Like, his voice is amazing. Um, it is just sort of a, like, a head tilty, like, really? You couldn't find any other young, brown-haired singer stars who needed a needed a film credit right and it's like people took the role over after him like Mm -hmm. in fact i believe his boyfriend is someone who took the role on after him incredible yeah um so like it's not like there aren't people like and i i always feel like there's such this interesting tension like when casting um movie musicals where there's this tension between like getting You know, it's like the Audrey Hepburn conundrum, right? Like, thinking about Mm -hmm. Audrey Hepburn in My Fair Lady, where here they had Julie Andrews, who was a major star on the West End, on Broadway, but nobody had heard of outside of those circles. And so they cast Audrey Hepburn, who, like, poor thing, tried really hard to sing, but they still dubbed her. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And I feel like, well, and, of course, the irony being that same year, uh, Julie Andrews was cast as Mary Poppins and beat Audrey Hepburn for Best Actress. Um, but that's beside the point. Um, but yeah, there's <laughs> <laughs> there's always this tension of like, when do you bring Broadway or West End actors up, and, and how do you balance casts and movie musicals such that like there's going to be those new fresh faces who have experience with the role, but then also like some names you can put above the title that will get butts in seats of theaters. Yeah. So, so, I mean, that's how you get things like John Travolta and Hairspray. Um, and it's always, it's always such an interesting tension. And I, I think it's interesting to contrast this with West Side Story, which made the choice to, um, cast Rachel Ziegler, who really is kind of more of a Broadway actress. Um, and, you know, she's just got- a just a real quick sidebar. Yeah, I really like John Travolta in Hairspray. Oh, <laughs> I mean, sorry, that's not that's not like a knock of like I, I uh, no, actually, I will come on. I that's not one of my favorite performances. I think it's fine. Well, fair we, enough. I, I feel like we've unpacked this actually before. There, I have a lot of feelings. I have a lot of feelings about John Travolta in Hairspray, but you know, I think that. Um, like, yeah, there are times you well, I mean, even you could say the same thing about like casting Michelle Pfeiffer in that movie, right? Like, mm-hmm. you get Michelle Pfeiffer because she's a name that everybody knows. Um. Oh, and I don't disagree that that's what they're doing with John Travolta. I just enjoyed John Travolta oh, in that I, movie. I mean, you gotta you gotta <laughs> say he does commit. He does commit. Um. Yeah, and so, yeah, I just think it's interesting how movie musicals balance that, and, and it's been interesting seeing, like, the reception of this versus um, West Side Story. Um, and, yeah, I think it's just such a shame, because I'm sure if they had made a movie ver- version of this, you know, four or five years ago with Ben Platt, it would have been great. Um, but I think well... it's... <laughs> or Sorry. At least- at least it would not have been as jarring in this sense. Um, yeah, he he would have been great. 
Yeah. And I and of the many things we are going to talk about tonight, I I don't want to quibble over many of the performances who I think for the most part are doing a good job with questionable material. Yeah, I mean I think that everybody is you know committed and really trying. Um I think that I don't know. Another, I mean, another component about, like, bringing a movie musical, and sorry, we can stop with just, like, the the translation bit, but I think this is actually important to how this movie comes across, is that, you know, one challenge of translating a musical to a film is that you do have to, like, modify it for the medium, and you do, I think sometimes filmmakers can... You know, filmmakers always are in the mindset of like, well, I have to do something new and innovative so it doesn't look like people just like are getting a taping of a performance. And so I think sometimes that leads to things like that really cool sequence in In the Heights when they're like dancing on the fire escape. Mm-hmm. And like clearly John Chu like really thought about like, how can I take this song, which in, you know, in a stage version is two actors singing to each other and how can I make it? How can I take the medium of film and do something creative and interesting and new with it? And, I mean, another really good example is the end of Chicago. Like, I think, actually, like, that's a really clever, like, the way they change it from being onto a stage and then the credits roll in. Like, they do some really, and actually, throughout the movie Chicago, I think Chicago is, like, the perfect example of how you innovate, you know, staging a musical through the medium of film. Like, I think they just do such a top-notch job in Chicago doing that. And I think here, one of the problems is that this is a musical where fundamentally it is just people talking and singing to each other. And True. what this movie chooses to do is just, like, sit the camera <laughs> between them talking and or singing to each other. And... It, and in a certain circumstances, it just, like, feels unbearable to have these, like, three-minute songs. And they try in a couple of them to bring in a montage. Like, um, there's that one montage during the song, um, What If It's Us, where, like, they kind of show us a little bit of their dating. Like, they they do a few of those things in there. But it's just so, like... Or sorry, Static. Only, yeah, exactly. Sorry, the song is only the us. That's right. I forget the title. Um, yeah, it's so static and it's so. And and what's sad too is like from the the videos I've seen of the stage production, one of the reasons I think the stage production was such a sensation was they really did some interesting things with set design and there was a lot of projection and there was a lot of. Really interesting. Again, this is just from the couple of clips I saw. I think they, like, did an Emmy performance or something. Or, sorry, Tony performance. Um, But, like, there was this really... They had this really interesting way of, like, putting social media on the stage and using projection to do that. And so it's like, you have the whole medium of film at your disposal. And you have this story, which... And, unfortunately, in my summary, I left out all the parts that involve social media. But, like, social media is a big part of the story... And, like, you couldn't think of a new and interesting way to include social media in the story through film with all those new tools at your disposal? Yeah, I think that it is bizarre that this movie was made by the same people who did The Greatest Showman. 
which is big and flashy and dynamic. And even if like, even the parts of it that I'm kind of like, don't know if this is a great movie. Don't know if this is a guy we should be celebrating. Like it is fun to watch. And granted the subject matter here is not what can or should be described as fun, but it, it feels like they got scared of making a movie about teen suicide in as anything other than like very serious conversations happening all the time. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying that they should have like, I don't know. I'm not saying that they should have treated it not as the very serious topic that it is, but it feels very awkward to have a musical number that is just Evan Hansen sitting at the dinner table singing at Connor Murphy's family. Like, right. That, that seems like a very weird choice for staging that number. One of, one of my favorite numbers of the movie is when, um, so Evan and, uh, his basically his only friend are writing a bunch of fake emails to show to Connor's family as quote unquote, like proof that they were friends and as like stories that they can share to like stories that he can share with them. And it's all very gross and leaves a bad taste in your mouth because it's supposed to. Um, But the song is sung by the actor who plays Connor and you get to see these like fake scenarios of him and Evan going to an amusement park or going to an arcade or like doing all of these things. And we actually get to see Ben Platt dance because as a Broadway actor, he's a pretty good dancer. Um, But like that number had life. It had intention. It, it was dynamic in a way. And it really makes me sad that they couldn't figure out a way or didn't try to figure out a way to do that with the kind of more serious songs. Like, right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Oh, did you? Um, I was also just going to say that the way that social media gets treated in this, or the way that, yeah, the way that social media gets treated in this movie is very weird to me and felt a little bit like kids these days. Um, so Evan, makes a speech at Connor's memorial that ends up going viral. And it's the, the big song that everyone knows um, from the movie, the um, you will be found. It, it played in the trailer. Um, so, th- and that speech ends up going viral and that's what inspires um, Amanda, Stein- Amanda Steinberg's character to start the, the Connor project. Um, and, first of all, I want to know who from their high school shared that video in a way that caused it to go that viral. Like who on, who on there is a, is an Instagrammer or a YouTube star? Because I kind of don't care how touching your speech is. If you're just a kid from nowhere, where, where do they, where does this movie take place? I Uh, I don't, I think, uh, was it like Georgia or Florida? I I think that it is part of the musicals that is it it doesn't specify, um, and that's kind of supposed to be in any place. Um, okay, fine, but, but I still, think, I I think it was shot in Georgia because I feel like most things are shot in Georgia. Yeah, probably. And I think um, I saw that the park they referenced was in Georgia. 
I like did okay. Google that because I was like, yeah, where are we? <laughs> um, but yeah, so so the the video goes viral. Um, so there, there. First of all, there's that, and then later on, um, Alana, who is played by Amanda Steinberg, is trying to raise money for their um, to restore this orchard that Connor really, really loved. And at a certain point, she's like, "In it's over in two days, and we're twenty five thousand dollars short." And I'm like, "You can't have it both ways. You can't have this campaign go viral on the internet and also their like." vanity campaign in connor's memory not work like those two those two things don't mesh with my idea both of those things can't be true with the way that i understand the internet um and then the last thing where i was like oh that wouldn't have happened that way at the very end of the movie evan posts a video to his instagram where he admits to lying about being connor's friend and um you know, apologizes to everybody, and then he does not immediately throw his phone in the garbage, which is where it should have gone, because of what his mentions are going to look like after posting that video. <laughs> yeah, I mean, do you have any? Yeah, I mean, do you have any thoughts on how social media is used in this? I don't know. So I guess my okay. So my context this comes comes from. So someone actually, my senior year of college, and I went to a very small school. Um, someone in my class, my senior year of college, actually did go viral, and I'm talking about, like, millions and millions of views, um, from a poetry slam. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, and it, I mean, it was uploaded by, like, the official poetry slam, um, YouTube account. It wasn't, like, a, a random, um, but it, I mean, it truly did, I think, get, like, 70 or 80 million views. Um, so I don't know. So on one hand, like, and I do remember like at the time, like everyone talking about like the fact that this guy went viral, but that was also in 2011. So I'm like, I don't know that YouTube has that same ecosystem. Um, I will also say, I mean, I think this guy used, I'm sorry, this is, I don't know why my tone here is sounding like so cynical it doesn't mean to be like good for him he i think he kind of used this this virality to like make poetry a career for a while um last i saw him at our five-year reunion i think he was still in some capacity a professional poet teacher person um so he did like really leverage it um but um yeah but again that was like you know long enough ago that it just feels like the the instagram the instagram youtube landscape is just so different um well and what's interesting to me too is that like in the time in between this musical being written and this movie being made like tiktok emerged like tiktok wasn't mm -hmm. even wasn't even a thought in anyone's head when this musical was written um so, like, I guess the one thing that didn't feel realistic to me is that these teens were spending so much time on Facebook and Instagram. Well, Instagram maybe a little bit more, but, like... But not Facebook. Yeah, and, and maybe not even YouTube. That I don't know. But, yeah, it did... The one thing that fell off to me was I was like, wouldn't this all be happening on TikTok? Like... Yeah, probably. Um, Because, yeah, I feel like all the stories we have now of, like, you know 
quote-unquote normal person going viral. I feel like they all come from TikTok nowadays. I don't think you're wrong. So, um, that's what struck me. Um, so, I, I am going to do my very, very best not to do a whole lot of, like, this was different from the musical, because I've never seen the musical. I've only listened extensively to the music. But... One of the one of the issues that I did have is that the musical opens with a big expository number that is mainly sung between Evan and Connor's mothers in this movie played by Julianne Moore plays Evan's mother and Amy Adams plays Connor's mother. And that song in the show does a lot of heavy lifting and I was honestly disappointed that we did not get that here because it does in it in the show it functions in a couple of different ways um mostly to introduce you to these two families to give you sort of an impression of them as different entities to show you how connor treats his family and also i think to make sure that we see um these two mothers as like characters independently of the roles that they're serving to their children. And I think that not having that number does a pretty big disservice, particularly to um, Amy Adams, who ends up not getting any sort of musical moment. And maybe, maybe she can't sing. I don't know. My, stop casting Hollywood actors in musicals when they can't sing is a separate uh, separate soapbox. Um, but, and Julianne Moore does end up getting a, a solo later in the movie. Um, but what? I was, I was, oh, sorry. I was going to say, I initially, like, I, after listening, because, yeah, I noticed that her singing was reduced, and I was like, oh, just, like, can Julia more just like not sing? But like I thought she did just a fine job in the the song that she did get. So I was like, wait. She also does not get the song in the show after um there's there's a scene in the musical where and it's in the movie too, after Connor's parents offer to give Evan right. Connor's college money, um and Evan's mother has this sort of like, we don't need your help. Um, and it becomes clear that like Evan is getting attention from Connor's family that he has not been getting from his mom because she's a single mom. She works all the time. Like she's a nurse. So she's constantly picking up additional shifts um, to, in order to support her and Evan. And there's this really heartbreaking song that's basically her saying, hope you're happy with your new family. Like, sorry, I wasn't enough for you. Um, and that, I think, also gives her more emotional depth. The whole thing about this show is that it's complicated and it's messy. And I don't know. I feel like the movie tries to make it less complicated and messy. And by doing that, all it does is make it more obvious that, like, this is kind of sociopathic behavior from Evan. <laughs> I don't know. I also think that the, the, I mean, the stage show is not 
different like it's still it's still a bonkers um premise but i don't know clearly it was more palatable <laughs> as a um as a tony nominee winner did it win did it win uh, a bunch of stuff i, I don't know that it did because i think it was up against hamilton so i don't okay. know i don't know that it won any tony let me oh, okay right. but it was nominated for stuff okay maybe it did win some tonys let's see it was nominated for nine. Oh, okay it did win six. Oh, maybe it was the year after hamilton i'm trying to think Huh. What were your, I mean, what are your feelings about how they handle the subject matter? Yeah, I mean, I think what part of what is so such a shame about it being such an inert film is that I think that, like, there is actually a really great space here to have a story talking about, like how our mental health can lead us to do things that we regret and that i i think that there are there have been some portrayals of mental health lately that i don't want to say sanitize but there's i feel like there's this conversation lately of There's a lot of lip service paid to people struggling with mental health, but there's not actually a lot of space for people. There's not a lot of space in stories currently. I feel like there used to be some of these. Sorry, I'm like rambling. Basically, the, no, point, being, okay. the point being, I think that there's a really good conversation to be had about people who are not nice because of me their mm -hmm. mental health. People who do bad things. Because yes. of their mental health. And I I think that they're... Um, I think that's part of why it's so sad that this movie is so inert. Because I, I think that we need characters like Evan. And we need characters like Connor. Who are, you know... Like... The, the context of their poor behavior is their poor mental health. And... But also that their poor behavior is explained, perhaps, by their struggles with mental health, but not excused by it. Like, one of my, one of my, one of the songs that I really liked is uh, Caitlin Deaver, who plays Connor's sister, sings a song that is basically, I'm, people are expecting me to be, people are expecting me to perform grief because my brother died, but my brother was a dick. Like, he was awful to me, he was awful to my stepdad, and frankly, I don't feel like being performatively sad for you. And I appreciated that, because while suicide is a horrible thing, and we never know all of the demons that people are struggling with, the actions that somebody... Like, his... Connor's actions still had consequences. Like, even if he acted out against his stepdad and his sister because of whatever he was going through, they have feelings too. And it doesn't make it better to explain like, oh, well, he was going through a lot of stuff. But I think on um, the counterpoint, though, I think that 
people need to address that stuff. Like, I, I, I feel like part of the problem is, like, there seems to be this binary, I feel like, in a lot of conversations about mental health of, like, folks who experience this poor behavior because of someone else's mental health deserve the support or folks who are exhibiting this bad behavior maybe in part because of their poor mental health deserve help and support and like i often see that encounter as a binary um not a yes and and i think that's yeah that's part of the problem with this movie not having the space of like Yes, Connor treated them horribly, and he struggled and deserved support. Yes, Evan acts terribly and lies, and he deserves, like, to have help and move forward with his life. Like, I, I feel like that's probably, that's what frustrates me so much about how, <sighs> on one hand, this movie is so long, Yes. And, and so part, so many parts of it are so boring. Uh, but on the other hand, like it can't find a, a fresh, exciting way to get to. Well, sorry, exciting is probably the wrong word, but it can't get into, like, can't get into breaking that binary of, like. It can't get to the, you know, it can't dig into that, like, hurt people hurt people. Um, well, and it, it, it's almost like it's afraid to say that both of those things can be true. Exactly. And, and I think that's, that's what frustrates me so much. Is I think that we do need something in the culture to say that. Because I, I feel like a lot of portrayals of folks who are struggling with their mental health that I have been seeing are, are those like Alana in this movie who mm -hmm. clearly she's struggling, but her struggle looks like withdrawal. Her struggle looks like, you know, keeping things to herself. And on the surface, she looks like this model student model, like pure. And I think we need stories like that, but I, I feel like we also need these messier, harder stories of, like, folks whose poor mental health leads them to do bad things and how we reckon with that. I think that ultimately, first, I just want to say that I think a man, I think that Alana's song is the best one in the movie. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't think it was in the initial it Broadway show. Yeah, that was like um, the one musical choice they made. I also kind of liked Connor's song too. But yes, I think that was like the best addition they did to the movie by far. Um, but the the movie very definitely feels like it's afraid. Um, it's afraid to have everyone be messy on kind of the same level. Like, I feel very strongly for Evan and I'm glad that he and his mother get their very lovely moment at the end of the movie. I also would have liked to maybe have seen him grapple more with the, like I would have liked to have seen, I didn't want to see him be punished exactly. Like that's the wrong way of putting it, but I feel like the movie moves on really fast from having him grapple with the consequences of what he's done. Well, I think it seems fast to us because it isn't a montage. Um, That's fair. But the presumably he has spent like a whole year grappling with this. 
Um, I think part of the problem is also that I don't really have a good sense of how long this movie, like what the time span of this movie is. Right. That it takes place over. Because I think actually this movie takes place over like, if not a full year, maybe even two years. I guess actually the more I think about it, I am like confused over whether this takes place because we have kind of a flash forward at the end. And I guess I'm confused if that's like flashing forward just a whole summer or a whole year. I think it's just a summer because I believe that Evan is a senior in high school when this movie starts. Yes, yes. So the question is, yeah, maybe it is just going into and he decides at the end to not go on to, um, you know, a a four-year college. He's going to stay at home, um, take courses at the local community college, um, work. Go to therapy? Please go to therapy. Um, But yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I feel like... Yeah, he's had, like, at least, so they go to prom together, so the fallout happens after prom, so he has a, a, at least, like, three to so, four months to reckon see, with but this. See, here's, but here's where I'm confused again, mm-hmm. because that little montage of him and um, Zoe, I don't know if that's real or not. I had the implication it was real. But again, this like goes back to what I was saying earlier about like translating it to film. Like, I think this was they thought like, oh, yes, we're going to do something innovative by um, like putting throwing this montage in there because that's not something you can do on the stage. But yeah, it just like ends up being unclear. <laughs> Yeah, I truly could not tell if that was actually happening or if that was just, like, what Evan was thinking of happening because then that song ends and things, like, pick up really quickly again. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I could inter- not tell if that was... Yeah. Fair. I interpreted that as actually happening, but fair. Um. So I think as we're talking about this, I, I think that I agree with you and I also still agree with me I think we do see the fallout from Evan's actions. What I wanted to see was Evan. Like we, we skip a lot of Evan's internal reconciliation. Like it plays out a little bit in the montage of him reading Connor's favorite books that he listed in his like sixth grade yearbook and reaching out to people to like collect actual stories about Connor. Um, I don't know. Maybe this would have been the place for like some well-deployed voiceover. I just, I don't. I felt like we, I felt like we are just sort of expected to believe that. Well, they think Evan, it... I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say. Well, this, it just sat us. There was something about the, um, like the denouement of this movie that I found unsatisfying. And maybe I'm not even sure what that was. Well, I think it's because we don't hear as much, correct me if I'm wrong, but in the, in the cast album, there is like a full song of that last letter. And I don't know, maybe I like lost, touch with, yeah. lost touch with reality by the film. Cause honest <laughs> to God, by the end of it, I watched it in two sittings. And like, by the end, I was just like clutching my pug and, <laughs> I was like, uh, um, have you ever seen Dairy Girls? 
I've not. It's been on my to watch list for a long time. Oh, I know. I'm sorry. It's, it's my so bad. Good. I felt like this character in Dairy Girls, there's a scene where she kind of gets trapped by some. There's a scene where the best character in Dairy Girls, she's the, the principal of the girl's school, she gets mm-hmm. trapped by this uh, man who won't stop talking at a funeral. And, oh, she no. ju- and she just like starts monologuing with himself while he does not break. Like he just keeps talking the whole time. And there's a point where she's like, like, where am I? What's happening? Am I the one who's dead? Like, <laughs> like I felt a little bit of that. I'm just like, what's happening? Where am I? What's going on? <laughs> By the end. Um, so I can't, honest to God, I cannot remember if they included that finale song. But I do know that I, I think we are meant to get that in that letter. I think this is the challenge. And funnily enough, where my mind goes with this is Kingdom of Heaven where, which is an absolutely bonkers movie if you only watch the theatrical cut. Um, Correct. But if you watch, <laughs> but if you watch the full like three hour version, is like a fantastic film, and I think it's in part, and and I think this is a lesson. This movie, this movie is so long, and yet in some ways is too short. It's like the, exactly the wrong size. It's too long to have the energy it needs but it's also too short to fully like breathe with the issues that it needs to breathe and yeah it's just it's it's the wrong kind of goldilocks they like tried to split it down the middle and it it, it just short shrifts storylines that need you know like you mentioned that song i think it's called good for you the song that she sings. Good for you. Yep. Yep. Um, you know, like it short shrifts character development that like really gives the story texture and complexity, but then it's just so unbearably long. You just want it to be over already. Yes. Like, could there be a, a, a mini series version of a musical? I feel like this needs a mini series. Like, it needs to be in like two parts. Like, I I disagree. I think I think they did not use their time wisely, and I think it goes back to that your criticism earlier. Yeah, and that they fair. did not they did not really, and also my confusion because again, these are the same people who made the greatest showman. Um, it's like they didn't know how to use their film space. So they were like, well, we can do montages. We couldn't do that on stage. Let's just throw a bunch of those in. And it's like, well, but if, if they're just eating up time, then why? <laughs> like, yeah. what is the, if you're just doing this because this is like your one trick, first of all, go watch Glee and they will show you <laughs> truly, they will show you how to make a dynamic, entertaining, musical out of capital v capital i very important issues um but yeah so it's like they they used their film space badly yeah that's probably true it just yeah it's it i think if they really wanted to do the slow and deliberate version of it which i'm not saying probably they should but yeah they they shot themselves in both feet of not making it dynamic enough but also abbreviating enough like it it was like the worst of both worlds yes correct i mean honestly they should have just gone and watched their own darn film like the great the great showman is like a textbook and how you make like 
musical numbers engaging. And I, I don't know if I can say this often enough. They also wrote the Broadway show. Right? <laughs> this is this is material, and maybe it's the director. Although Stephen Chbosky has done way more interesting stuff than this. I don't know. Maybe maybe somebody got cold feet somewhere, and we're like, "Oh no, guys, we're actually making a movie about teen suicide," and now we're like scared about that. Yeah, that um, that very could very well be. Because yeah, I just like. <sighs> I mean, even the prom had some more innovative ways of filming a musical number. Like, truly, even Ryan Murphy did a better <laughs> job than you guys. Well, I mean, Glee. <laughs> I, right? Yeah, yeah. I guess you just bring it back to the glee of it all. Um, yeah, I guess that actually shouldn't be surprising. Um, but and I, part of the problem too is like on stage. Well, okay, sorry. Taking a step back. I, I I often think about when I'm watching a musical. I don't know if you've had a chance to see uh there's a lovely documentary on Disney Plus called Howard. I have not. Um highly recommend, especially cuz correct me if I'm wrong, but I, are you a little mermaid person? Have we talked about I am this? a I am a huge little mermaid That's person. That's what I thought. Okay, you need to watch Howard. Like that needs okay. to like get up to the top of your to, to watch list cuz it, it is all about Howard Ashman. Um, and the vast majority about it is of the film is about the making of the Little Mermaid. Um, okay. And and the what Howard Ashman, who started as a Broadway um composer, he wrote Little Shop of Horrors. Um, what he took to Disney that like made the Disney Renaissance click, and they have footage of him in there, and he is giving like a seminar or a lecture. But one thing he said that always sticks with me when I'm watching a, a musical, I was going to say be it in movie or stage form, but let's be real. When was the last time I saw a musical on stage? I couldn't tell you. Um, I can tell you exactly because <laughs> it was one of the last trips I took before we all locked down. Oh, I th oh actually, you know what? Maybe I do remember. It was like July 2019. My sister and I went to New York City to see Hades Town in February oh. of 2020. Oh. It was incredible. It was one of the best things I've ever seen. I wish I could have like been a fly on your shoulder. Not that I would want to make a fly on your shoulder, but you get the idea. I do, yes. <laughs> um, but one thing Howard Ashman said is he said that part of the trick of making a musical is that you have to make the audience believe that this character feels so deeply that they have to... Like, they have to go from needing to speak in words to needing to sing to needing to dance. Like, there has to be, like, that progression of heightened emotion that you take the audience with you on for a musical to make sense. Because it is ultimately always going to come up against the fact that it is kind of silly that people are just bursting out into song. And, like... I could see where on the stage with all their cool like lighting and effects, this is like easier to like build that experience where you basically just start having characters talking to each other, but like you can build that emotion in a live audience and like get them to that point where they, they absolutely believe that the only way these characters can cope with these emotions are singing and then dancing. But it just looks so anodyne. And so, 
like I blah that you just don't get there. I wonder if this just should have been like I wonder if this I wonder if this adaptation should not have been a musical. Right. Or because like they're they're kind of treating it that way. It's like sort of incident like the the songs are almost incidental to the story. Where I feel like for a a a true like a well written, well put together musical, the the songs should feel integral to that experience. Exactly, like, and that okay. you should not be able to simply remove the musical numbers and have it continue to be a cohesive story. And I feel like you could do that with this movie. Oh, absolutely. And I think that goes back to Howard Ashman's view of like the mm-hmm. emotion has to be so strong and it has to be like so strongly felt that like it can only be communicated in song. But it still has to communicate something. Like you it can't just be like a step out of the story. Like <sighs> step out step out of the side. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Before well played. you burn. Well, well played. Well played. Before I you burn. <laughs> uh, yep. The yep. thing is that I really do love, I really do love the book for this musical. Like, I, I cry at everything, I will tell you. So, of course, I cried during Evan's big, um, you will be found moment on stage because I'm easily manipulated. <laughs> um, <laughs> but also just like, this the the music by itself is very cathartic um and it's just it's disappointing to see cuz i i am a big believer in if you're making a movie or if you're making a musical into a movie i agree with you marin i think that you should do things that are only possible with film and that while it is really cool to see something like the filmed version of hamilton which is just they put a bunch of cameras in front of the stage show and then cut it together in a really interesting way. But at the end of the day, it's still a filmed version of the stage show. Right. There is a difference between that and we made this into a movie. And I always want something extra because you can do stuff in a movie that you can't do on stage. Give me a reason for this to exist as a movie independently of just existing as the stage show. And I don't think that this movie did that. No, no. I think that they played it way too safe. And it just, yeah, it takes all the life out of a story that, like, really should be imbued with all of these difficult emotions. Like, it should not be hard to, like, they are trying to grapple with some really hard things. And it it shouldn't be that hard to get... The audience to like buy into the emotion of the story, but yeah, I think it's just that. Yeah, I think it all kind of comes together of like the like the visuals not supporting it. The like even the songs in some ways are kind of outside the story, like. Yeah, it just, it doesn't come together to make you feel these hard things that, like, it wants to reckon with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it ends up feeling more manipulative than actually, like, 
we are grappling with these hard things. It's just, we're going to make you sad with sad stuff. Well, honestly, I don't even know that I got to the point of feeling manipulated because I just didn't connect with it. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, okay. Um, and like again. There's... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, there's there's things happening. There sure are things happening. <laughs> exactly. And I was so mad because, like, knowing the story of this musical, I really think there is a space for a story like this. Like, I really think this is a kind of story that does need to get told. And that just makes me double mad. I don't know. I think these guys just have a talent for... I mean, I... I love the Grishman. I got it. I got it. I do too. I love it so I have much. watched it. I've watched it about four times. Oh yeah. I own it. I paid. I paid human money for the soundtrack. I love the greatest <laughs> show. So well, and the other thing. Okay, I don't know if I've ever talked to you about this, but like, there are very few movies I hate more than La La Land. Um, I I could not summon up enough engagement with La La Land to feel strongly about it. Oh, I hated it so hard. Um, and these guys also wrote some of the songs from La La Land, which again, on their own, lovely, good sounding songs. And I have mm. listened to them. I think I listened to them before I watched the movie and I was like, oh, okay, this should be good. Like, I like this music. Saw the movie. I was like, oh, God. No, I'm sorry. I will never forgive them. I will never forgive Ryan Gosling, mediocre white man extraordinaire, for winning Best Original Song over Ali Cravalho for Moana. Yeah. Uh, Criminal? Also, that song sucks. Yeah, sorry. They didn't that end is, up winning that is how much, didn't That's how much feeling I can summon for La La Land, is yeah. that I think that that song sucks. Yeah, because <laughs> didn't they end up winning for City of Stars, which is like not yes. even near the best song in the film? Yes. Oh, God. Anywho, yeah. So, yeah, these guys are, you know, very hit or miss. And, yeah, this was definitely a miss. And I... I don't know. As someone who... Like, Broadway fandom has been such a part of my DNA for so long. I care very much about movie musicals getting made. Like, as someone who did not have access to... Like, getting to see a ton of Broadway shows growing up. Not that I didn't have access to theaters. My parents were awesome about taking me to the local theater. My grandparents were awesome about taking me to productions. But I didn't have a ton of access growing up to Broadway shows. And, like, movies were my way in. And I think that, like, for so many people, this will be the only way they experience the story. And so movie musicals especially those of, like, really big Broadway shows, I think just have that much more responsibility to do them well. End of fully. I was going to say, fully agree also feels like a very good note to end on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so Martha, <laughs> what would you recommend instead of this, I don't even know what you'd call it, thing of a movie? Um... So, I have a recommendation that is, I, normally our recommendations are thematic to what we have just watched. Oh, I know. Okay. I was about to, I was about to recommend something because it just made me, this, this movie just made me think of it, but I, I have a, I have a better one. Let me just look up what year it's from. 
you go first. Okay. What, what would you recommend? What would you recommend to our listeners? So I was going to recommend, and I know for a fact I've recommended the first in this series. I may very well have recommended this book too, but it's so good and it deals with some of these same issues so much better that I I had to I have to recommend Fall by Kristen Callahan. Um, it is a third book in the series, but you can read it without having read the first two. Um, it is about a rock star named Jax who had a very public suicide attempt, uh, a year before that, like, broke up the band. Um, and he, uh, meets Stella, who, uh, is house-sitting for his neighbor, um, slash best friend, um... And they end up falling in love. And I think it's a really great portrayal of... And the author herself, I believe, has depression, anxiety. Um, and, and Jack's... I, th- I think the portrayal of Jack's depression, anxiety is really sensitively done. Um, and so, yeah. I would recommend Fall by Kristen Callahan. Martha, All what right. would you recommend? I would recommend the 2003 teen musical drama Camp. Which is about a group of theater kids who attend a summer theater camp, which is being run by songwriter Bert Hanley, uh, who goes, basically decides to go run this camp because he's had a series of Broadway flops and is trying to revitalize his creative juices. Um, This movie is ridiculous, (laughs) and I love it very much. (laughs) Um, It is peak 2003. It is basically fame, only it takes place at a summer camp, and right. you definitely went to high school with all of these kids. <laughs> um, but yeah, the the my initial oh, and Anna Kendrick is in it, Aww. baby Anna Kendrick. Oh, my my initial thought had been um the last five years, also starring Ooh. Anna Kendrick. Oh God, Again, I. I cannot bring myself to watch that movie. <laughs> that soundtrack is so hardwired in my DNA. Like, I have been listening to that cast album since I was 15 years old. Like, I cannot watch that movie. I will break apart. Um, but yes, I was going to recommend it for no reason other than I am watching a musical. It reminds <laughs> me of this other musical. Um, but no, watch Camp. Camp is fun. It will... It is peak early aughts. It will make it will hit you right in the good good nostalgia centers, um, and it it features a lot of kids that you're rooting really really hard for. And truly, at the end of the day, I wanted to be rooting for Evan. Like, I want to be rooting for these kids always, um, even though Ben Platt is just a few years younger <laughs> than me. <laughs> um. Well, all right. So, Marin, what are we watching next time? Yeah, so next time we are going to be watching the very newly released, I believe it was just released on February 4th, um, Amazon Prime original, The Book of Love, um, starring Sam Claflin. Um, so just, you know. Oh, post- Sammy. Oh, yeah. Um, so just post-Valentine's. Um, yeah, The Book of Love. It's on Fabulous. And where can our listeners find you when you are not talking on this podcast? <laughs> uh, folks can find me on Twitter where I tweet at a underscore star underscore danced. Um, and pretty much only tweet about romance novels these days. So if those interest you at all, feel free to give me a follow. Martha, where can folks find you? 
You can find me at all the places at Magical Martha, including uh, Twitter, Instagram, and a tiny letter, uh, tinyletter.com backslash Magical Martha, which is my newsletter that I update whenever I feel like it. Um, I am, can also be seen on a limited time only uh, guest starring on our my friend Dan Carlin's uh, limited series on his YouTube channel, S-O-O-L Radio. Uh, we are breaking down each of the Best Picture Oscar nominees, one movie at a time. Ooh. Our first episode, talking about the power of the dog, went live today. So if you are an Oscar person or you like hearing me talk about movies, you should definitely check that out. You can follow the show on the shared feed that we do with our sister show, Did You Do Your Homework? Uh, we share feeds with them on SoundCloud, uh, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere that you get your podcasts. You can also follow the shows on social media at DYDYH Podcast. Bless you. Um, and I think that is everything we have. Uh, I'm sure that Pete will cut in in post anything that I have egregiously forgotten. <laughs> uh, thank you all so much for listening. Thank you, Marin, for humoring me for this uh, movie that's not quite in our oeuvre, but which <laughs> I definitely uh, deeply wanted an excuse to talk about. So thank you for that. Uh, we will see you all in two weeks. And until then, just remember that we love you. We did it. I will say I'm not sorry I watched it.